Hello everyone. Welcome to the Game Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Łukasz Ściga, and this show is about 3D graphics programming, low-level video game development, where we demystify game engines, rendering pipelines, physics, linear algebra, and all sorts of other obscure parts of game engineering. Sit back and enjoy the show. Summing up the last episode, our current rendering pipeline has three steps. Vertex shader, rasterization, and fragment shader. If none of these terms ring a bell, go watch the previous episode and come back to this one. Today I want to expand on this definition, because I skipped over some of the details last time. I didn't dive deep enough into how 3D model data is being uploaded into GPU buffers. GPUs and APIs like OpenGL understand primitives, geometrical shapes, like lines, triangles or quads. You might have heard someone measuring the model complexity in triangles or in polygons. That's the primitives I'm talking about. While uploading the 3D points, you cannot just dump them as is. You need to group them into points that can be rendered as a primitive, most often triangles. If you export models from Blender, you have the option to triangulate the faces. And you should do that. Always. For the triangles are the best polygons. No, but seriously, you can forget about the points, lines, quads and everything else. Believe in triangles. You know what's the best feature of triangles? No matter the transformations you apply to the set of three points constituting the triangle, you can always find a single plane in which all three of your points are. No precision errors will change that. If you're sophisticated, you can say that they are then co-planner. This is the feature you will need. Your points will be transformed several times and they have to remain in the primitive that is flat because on that plane you will apply your texture, normals and so on. Okay, so you don't have raw vertices, but you have polygons, most likely triangles. That's one thing to note while expanding on the definition of the rendering pipeline. Now I'll introduce two additional steps, tessellation and geometry shader. Take note that both of them are optional but they're often used together to achieve some of the features you might recognize from your game engine. Let's start with tessellation. This is the process in which you can increase the detail of the surface by subdividing it. If you did some of the 3D modeling, you might recognize this option to subdivide faces of the mesh. Remember, your rendering unit is a primitive. You cannot bend the primitive. To achieve more detail, to introduce some noise to that flat surface, to bend or reshape it, you need to have more primitives constituting the surface. This means that to achieve more detailed look, you need to have more triangles which allow you to bend the mesh and express more detail. Nothing is truly flat in the world we live in, not even the earth. You might think, that's great, but why do I need to do this dynamically? That's a fair question. After all, you can create a model with the needed detail level beforehand why would you need such capability during the rendering pipeline, dynamically? Consider rendering something else, not only the protagonist of your game that you might have had in mind. For example, terrain. They are usually massive meshes, 
They make up the world on which you tread on in the open world games like The Witcher Red Dead Redemption. If you were to create such a detailed terrain mesh that it would look nice from the view of the character, your engine wouldn't handle this amount of data to render it as a whole in the editor. You need some tricks to have both less detail when looking at terrain as a whole and more detail when looking up close from the character's point of view. Tessellation can help you with that. This process often has two stages, tessellation control shader and tessellation evaluation shader, TCS and TES for short. The first one is optional. It is used to determine the level of tessellation. The higher the level, the more subdivisions will be made and the more granular mesh will come out. The TES is where the computation of the vertices happens. Okay, you've included tessellation to your terrain mesh. So, focusing on the piece of the model, you've converted one large flat triangle to more smaller triangles. But all of them are still flat, how does that help you? In case of the terrain, you might then want to add the displacement effect, which you might guess from the name will shake up the vertex positions a little bit and remove the flat look. But your terrain will still be empty. That's why tessellation is often used in pairs with geometry shader. Now, this shader runs after the tessellation process produces more triangles. Geometry shader is being run per primitive and is capable of outputting more than one primitive. This means that we can use it at the end of the tessellation to process the more granular triangles and create additional mesh for them. In our case of the terrain, it might be used to add more meshes like trees and rocks. This trick is often used across the game engines you know. If you ever pushed your game project past the prototype stage and attempted to make it look nice, you definitely used particle systems. These are the constructs that emit a bunch of additional geometry, either 2D sprites or 3D meshes. The particles are often relatively short-lived. They are used to create effects such as splashes, explosions, dusts and so on. Geometry shaders are things that bring particle systems to life. On the CPU part of your code, you need to store the positions, velocities, rotations and other attributes you change throughout the life of a particle, but you don't need to store the actual vertex data. Those can be generated with the help of the good guy geometry shader. Tessellation and geometry shader are used for all sorts of tricks that are in the I need to make it happen somehow realm. They make way for mechanisms that would be impossible to do with just vertex and fragment shaders. They are being used in the water and cloth simulation as well as to add more details in facial animations. With their addition to the rendering pipeline, you end up with the process that can be found on the OpenGL docs. Let's do a recap. You start with the 3D model data uploaded to the GPU buffer for the vertex shader to run. It processes the data, applying per-vertex operations. Then, the output is handed over to the tessellation control shader, if it's there, which prepares the tessellation levels. Then, tessellation evaluation shader is being run, subdividing the mesh, providing more primitives for the geometry shader to run. Geometry shader, operating on the primitives, not the vertices, is capable of generating even more primitives. Then, 
those primitives, are handed over to the rasterizer, which converts them to 2D fragments, suited for rendering on your screen. Fragments are picked up by the fragment shader, where all sorts of cool effects can be applied, and from there, the final output is produced. The color of the pixel to render. In short, vertex shader, tessellation, geometry shader, rasterization, and fragment shader. Keep in mind that tessellation and geometry shader are the optional steps in the pipeline. They are added only to reap the benefits of dynamic mesh modifications. Thank you for your time and attention. Next time I will be diving into the linear algebra section and talking about how to get from 3D coordinates that you receive from modeling software to 3D coordinates that can be rendered, which include moving the models around the scene, simulating the camera, and applying perspective. I am Łukasz Ściga, and this was another episode of the Game Engineering Podcast. See you in the next one.